All right, good morning, church. Good to see all you happy people here this morning. Smiling faces abound, which they should, in God's, God's house. All right, so this morning we're going to continue on our journey out of Daniel. Um, we are only going through the first half of Daniel since um, we did a end time series last, last May, and we unpacked a lot of the last half of Daniel. And the reason why we're going through the book of Daniel is because uh, Daniel talks about, or is a good illustration of, how to live wise in a dark culture. How to live wise and be a light for God in a dark culture. So there are a lot of parallels that help us in Daniel. Let me get a show of hands here. Um, how many people actually like to fly in planes? Okay. How many people do not like to fly in planes. Okay, all right. Another show of hands out of all of you, no matter whether you like to fly in planes or don't, how many people uh, get really excited when they encounter unexpected turbulence? You guys are weird, like really strange people. Um, glad I'm your pastor. Um, you know, when we encounter things that we don't expect and we're out of control, we oftentimes react in a way we shouldn't. And that is true in many areas of life. Um, I personally um, am a control freak. Hi, my name is Jason. I'm a control freak. Here's how I know that. I've ridden with some of you people in cars as a passenger. I do not like riding as a passenger. As a passenger, it doesn't matter how good you drive, you get anywhere close to that yellow line, and I grab that handle, and my blood pressure skyrockets, and then I start thinking very judgmental thoughts about you. Like, they're on drugs. They can't drive. You can't trust them. Or maybe they should be on drugs. You see, when we get into a situation where we feel out of control, we have a choice of how we respond. Do we respond poorly in a way that does not reflect faith in God? Or do we respond in a way that reflects that we believe God is in control even when we are out of control, when we have no control? I'm convinced of this this morning that uh, Daniel chapter 2, really is about how we are supposed to react if we believe God is in control. In Daniel chapter 2, there's many characters, but there's really two main ones. There's this king named King Nebuchadnezzar, and he is, he is the king over all of the world. He's the most powerful man in the world, and he reacts in such a way that's very poorly when he is out of control because he doesn't have belief in the one true God. And then there's another guy. His name is Daniel. He is a prophet of the Lord. He's actually a slave in the king's court. And it shows the comparison of how Nebuchadnezzar reacts when he's out of control and how Daniel reacts when he's out of control. One reflects a belief that God is in control and the other one doesn't. And we need this today. Uh, you know, if you don't know this, we are probably heading towards a recession, if not already in one. And in a recession, I don't know that things translate as much up here as they do in the south, in the southern 48. But in a recession, many companies lay off employees. 
and you might uh, be facing such a layoff in the near future, and it might not be any fault of your own, but for some reason, someone picked your name out of a hat, and, and you're out of control. You don't have any say in the situation. You can choose to respond poorly, or you can choose to respond in a way that reflects that you believe God's in control. For some of us, we have adult children. Our children are grown, they're adults, and uh, they may do things that we don't like and we can't control. And how, how, do, we, how do we reflect faith that, that shows that God's in control instead of responding poorly to them because we have no control over them? Or maybe you're experiencing radical upheaval. You know, live any amount of life and you're going to encounter some really radical changes. Anybody like change in here? Any people just, I can't wait to have a change, a major change. No. Maybe you're experiencing something you didn't foresee. You have a, a chance to respond poorly because you're out of control or you have a chance to respond in faith and respond like God is in control. King Nebuchadnezzar is on the throne in Babylon. We found out last week that the Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem, had captured Judah, and had sent them into slavery. And God had foretold for 600 years, if they keep on worshiping false gods, he was going to send them into slavery. And he finally did it in uh, 605 B.C., 597, and 586 B.C., three invasions that eventually tore down the temple, burned the city to the ground, and the Israelites are in Babylon as they're in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar has trained certain Israelites, Daniel and his three friends, to become wise men of Babylon. He's sent them through a radical indoctrination program. These guys are teenagers. They're probably young adults now. And after three years, they've graduated. And King Nebuchadnezzar starts having dreams. And yes, I did say dreams. King Nebuchadnezzar has the same dream multiple times, and he knows it's supernatural. And it's scaring him. Imagine that. The person who is the most powerful person in the world and he is scared. And we can tell he's scared by his reaction to the dream because he's out of control. The one person you imagine is in control is out of control because he's not God. He responds poorly. We're going to see how he responds poorly and then we're going to see Daniel who's under the threat of death because King Nebuchadnezzar is responding poorly and how Daniel responds showing that God is in control. Why do we sometimes respond poorly when we feel out of control? That's our first question. And when we feel out of control, how should we respond if we believe God is in control? That's our second question this morning. Okay, so why do we sometimes respond poorly? Daniel chapter 2. The reason why sometimes we respond poorly, no matter whether we're Christian or not, is because we try to use our power to control only what God can. When you are in a situation, and I am in a situation, where we find ourselves having no control, we are tempted to try to use our power to create control in something that only God can. And it creates devastation and chaos. And that's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing. By the way, I said he has had a dream. So after this dream, it's disturbed him because he keeps on having it. That's verse 1. It's a multiple. He dreamed dreams. He keeps having it. 
After he keeps having this dream, he sends in for his wisest guys. Now, Daniel's not in this group, and nor is his friends. Apparently, Daniel's friends just graduated. They're not included in everything King Nebuchadnezzar advises his, with his wise men with. And so he sends for his astrologers and sorcerers, and he sends for his wise men, the Chaldeans, and they all come to him. And King Nebuchadnezzar tells them, I had a dream. And the wise men say, okay, king, tell us your dream, and we'll interpret it for you. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, no. No, I want you to tell me what my dream is, and then I know you'll be able to interpret it. And the wise men come back to him and say a second time, King Nebuchadnezzar, we can't do that. Can you please just tell us the dream? We'll tell you the interpretation. And now we're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar's response that he's going to try to use his own power to control because he's out of control. And, and in a sense... He's only doing what God can do. Look at what happens in verse 8 through 12. Notice how King Nebuchadnezzar is out of control and trying to use his own power. Then the king answered, I am certain you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping to change the situation. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing as any magician or, or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except for the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king furious, so angry that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and put him and his friends to death even though Daniel wasn't included in the consultation. So I want you to put yourself in King Nebuchadnezzar's shoes really quick. I know it's hard to do because none of us have been in this position really, but we need to try to understand him. He is the most powerful man on the earth. Matter of fact, we do know this. The Babylonian Empire was the most powerful empire up to this time. No one has owned as much land as the Babylonian Empire and ruled over it with an iron fist uh, except King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the first one. And so what we find is he has absolute power and he's an autocrat. He's a dictator. Whatever he says goes. It's not like we got a democracy or senate. It's not even like Rome where you got to compromise. You know, he is the guy. And so he can do whatever he pleases and get this. He feels like he's out of control. <laughs> That's interesting. The one guy you think would have it all together doesn't have it all together. And because he doesn't have it all together, he's trying to use his power to get it all together. You see, he has a dream, by the way. Now, I'm not going to read the passage of the dream because I did that in the end time series already. But I'm going to recapture it for you really quick. So uh, we find out later that, that Daniel interprets his dream for him. So let's put ourselves in, in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes. I want to show you the dream he keeps on having. He keeps on having this dream about a statue, and it's a really big statue. And more than likely, everybody say more than likely. I don't want to be 100% dogmatic on this. More than likely, it's an image of himself. 
The reason why I know that is because in, in the very next chapter, he creates a 90-foot statue that looks like him. So this is kind of a disturbing dream. This statue looks like him. He keeps on having it. The head is a head of gold. The chest and arms are silver. The waist is bronze. The legs are iron. And then the feet are mixed with iron and clay. And then all of a sudden, there is a rock cut out from a crop of rocks over here without human hands. And this rock is lifted up and thrown down at the base of the statue. And the whole statue crumbles and it's like shattered like ash in the wind. Now, if you see yourself as a statue and different colors of precious metals and all of a sudden a rock that isn't precious crushes your statue and you keep on having that dream, you're going to feel a little insecure too. He feels very vulnerable. And so he's wanting to know what is, what's going on, what's the interpretation and uh, so he calls in his wise guys. Now these wise guys, um, I want you to notice there's something going on here. The king is not only feeling vulnerable because he has this supernatural dream. He's feeling vulnerable because he's young. Put yourself in his shoes. Think about it. Most kings, when they, usurp, when they become a king after their fathers die, in the first three years, that's when they're going to be assassinated and overthrown. You look at ancient history, all kings are worried about the first few years being overthrown by people who were upset with their fathers. And by the way, who served Nebuchadnezzar's fathers? It was all the wise men. They're all older than him. And he's trying to assert his story. He has insecurities. You say, Jason, how do you know that? Everybody say, Jason, how do you know that? Well, it's in verse 8. Look at what he says to them. Notice what he says. I'm sorry, verse 9. He says, if you do not tell me the dream, there's just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me, miss, you, you've been talking about my back to overthrow me. Do you see what's happened? Nebuchadnezzar is so insecure because he's not in control that he's already drawing conclusions that he doesn't know it was true. And he's reacting out of that trying to control power. And uh, this addresses really two types of people this morning as we apply this passage to ourselves. In this room this morning, we have two types of people. We have Christians, and we have those who are open to Christianity but, but have not decided that Jesus is the only way and have not believed that he died and rose again. Just those two. And this passage actually has uh, two types of principles for those two groups of people. Let's talk about Christians first. Okay, Christians. We can actually have spiritual amnesia and forget that God is in control of our lives. Anyone ever done that before? There are three things that happen when you are not in control and you are backed into a corner. There's only three. There's only three choices you have when you are not in control and things are happening to you outside of your control. You can fight like a lion's cornered in a corner. You can flee only to discover you're never going to run away from the problem. Or you can have faith and endure and wait on God in the middle of the problem. God wants us to have faith, but we don't do that all the time. A lot of the times what we do when we're backed in a corner and we're not in control, we forget that God's in control and we start lying in order to get our way and get out of it. We start manipulating other people. 
or what's worse, we'll try to gather a consensus of people to fight against the other people who we think are in control. It's really bad. Um, by the way, this reminds me of a story of a salesman uh, who was selling uh, uh, things out in the rural countryside. And it was late at night, and he was driving back home, but he was kind of in the middle of nowhere on a dirt road. All of a sudden, he heard a big pop. His tire had gone out. So he got out of the car. He went to go get the spare tire, got the spare tire, got everything ready, got the jack on, and realized he didn't have a lug wrench. It's pouring rain, and he's miserable. And he looks down the road about a half mile away, and he sees a farmer's house with a light on. And he thinks to himself, it's late at night, but I've got to go ask that guy for a lug wrench. And so he starts walking, and as he's walking down the road... He starts thinking to himself, you know, it's really late at night. I bet when I knock on that guy's house, he's going to be really angry. Matter of fact, I bet you when he comes to the door, he's not even going to open up the door. You know, the truth be told, I bet you if I ask him for a lug wrench, he won't even give it to me because I've disturbed him so much. And he worked himself up into such a tizzy that as soon as he got to the door, he knocks on the door. A guy comes from behind the door, turns on the porch light, says, who is it? And the guy says, you know darn well who it is. It's me. And honestly, I wouldn't ask to borrow your lug wrench if you were the last person on earth. Do you see what he did? By the way. This is what it looks like for a Christian who forgets God's in control. What we do is instead of praying like Daniel and his friends pray, we end up actually assuming the worst and never giving God an opportunity to change a situation. And we start judging people. We start assuming the worst. We never give them an opportunity. And we start trying to control things with our own power and it turns into a disaster. Now, there are some of you in here, you're open to Christianity. But you would say um, you've never really believed that Jesus is the only way. I want to address you here. Um, listen, you live in a country called America, but it might as well be Babylon. Now, there's a lot of people in here that are offended by that. But listen, you shouldn't be. A country that was founded on religious freedom that values immigration is only inevitably going to become a country that has many gods represented. Otherwise, you're going to have to lose your religious freedom. So, in this country, it's probably the only country on earth where you have so many gods represented here and so much freedom to worship whatever you want. And so the natural question is, which one's right? Which one's right? And I want to address that right here, that... Um, I believe if you're open to Christianity uh, that you've already done half the work because you haven't closed your mind to it. And, and in this passage, there are three reasons really why we should believe that Christianity is the only way amongst all these all competing gods. Now, why would I even draw this parallel? Because it's obvious, isn't it? King Nebuchadnezzar has all these wise People coming to him, and they're supposed to be representing the voice of the gods to him. They're supposed to be re representing these voices of the gods. But notice what they say. They say, O king, no king has ever asked what the dream was, 
No one's ever asked us to tell them what the dream was. And by the way, King, uh, gods, uh, they don't live among men. Isn't it interesting that they say they have the ability to interpret what the gods say, but then they say that the gods don't live among men? Which means they don't really have the answer. But there's some validity here, okay? What I'm trying to say is, is that there was a method to their madness. They weren't completely stupid. They weren't. In fact, they had things called dreams or manuals of dreams interpretation. We've actually unearthed in archaeology uh, dream manuals from Babylon. And here's what we know about them. What they used to do is, is that they would document people's dreams and then the things that happened after their dreams for like a thousand years, ever since Hammurabi. And when someone had a dream like a king and wanted to know the interpretation, they would first hear the dream and then they would go to their manual and they would look at, at what, what happened in the past and they would try to associate the dream with another dream that happened in the past. That's exactly what they did. So is that supernatural from the gods? No, it's not. Here's three reasons I believe in, in Christianity. And by the way, I didn't really discover these until I was in my 20s. I was not born, I was not taught these in a Christian family. I was taught these as I came back to faith in my 20s. Here's the first one. I believe in Christianity because it accurately tells me who I am. When I see Christianity, C.S. Lewis has a quote. I believe in Christianity like I believe in the rising sun because by it I see all things. Oh, I love that quote. It's true. When I, when I look at Christianity, it says I'm a sinner. And then I feel awful, right? But then I, I agree. I've hurt a lot of people. I've done some really bad things. I don't deserve to go to heaven. And if, I'm, if you're honest with yourself, you, you, you would say that too. And so I agree, but then again, there's something else that Christianity tells me, that I'm not only a sinner, but I'm highly valued and loved by God so much that he gave his son for me. So it's both and. I'm completely loved and valued by God so much that he wants to forgive me of my sins, but then I'm a dirty sinner who hurts people. And, and that seems to match who I am very well. Um, here's the second reason I believe in Christianity, because it has amazing validity. It has a backbone. Like it's, it's got things in it um, that we can quantify. What I mean by that is, is that there are thousands upon thousands of archaeological evidences that suggest that the names and places in the Bible were actually real. When, when I was in the Marine Corps and we went to Iraq and we were uh, in the first invasion and the war, we, my, my squad, my company, and I were the second people to ever tour Babylon. And uh, we were taken to Babylon and we had a Iraqi archaeologist who spoke really fluent English. He had formerly worked for Saddam Hussein. And he took us through the Babylonian uh, archaeological digs and the palace. And as he was taking us through the palace, we went to the palace room. And he said to us, those of you who know your Bibles, this is the room where King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, would have reported to King Nebuchadnezzar. It's interesting because the night before we knew we were going to Babylon, I decided to read Ezekiel and Daniel because those things took place in Babylon. 
And so right after the throne room, the archaeologist uh, took us down to an excavated stairwell that went down to the dungeons. And it had been excavated to 6 BC, which if you know, that's the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. And as we're walking down there, we look up on the side of the wall, and there's this mosaic that has been restored of a god named Marduk. And I had just read the night before out of Ezekiel about the god Marduk. And I'm sitting here looking at this, and I'm like, this is all real. It's all here. And uh, I I want you to know this. Uh, My friend, if you aren't a Christian, but you're open to Christianity, you can go on YouTube all day long and hear a lot of people who are going to tear Christianity apart. Can Can I encourage you? If they're going to tear Christianity apart, they're not going to spend any time on showing you why other people think it's valid. Don't don't you think you give it a shot to to see both sides? And And I think that when you look at Christianity, there is so much weight of evidence archaeologically. There's so much weight that it far surpasses the questions that you might not have that the Bible doesn't give. Like, where are the dinosaurs? Okay, where are the walruses? How about the penguins? They aren't there either. I, don't, I think the Bible wasn't trying to, to talk about every single species. And so, and so we have to be careful. We have to give a weighted... Uh, Christianity is not an ill-informed religion. It's a religion based on information and facts, but still has to have faith. And uh, we have to be careful with that. There's amazing validity. Here's the third reason I believe in Christianity, and I think you should too. And this is, this is the big one. This is the big one. Okay, I, I want to know if you're still with me this morning. So can everybody stand up? If you're able to stand up, can everybody stand up? All right, all right, look. This is the big one. This is the big one. How many of you play basketball in here? Basketball players? Okay, I don't really care if you played it or not. Everybody do this after me, okay? Do this. Slam dunk. No, you didn't get air. Most of you are white. I can see that. Come on. Slam dunk. Oh, come on. Don't make me do this anymore. Slam dunk. Oh, you guys are pathetic. Sit down. Hey, this is the slam dunk. This is the slam dunk. This is the big one. This is it. Listen, slam dunk right here. Now, I'm not trying to minimize other religions. I'm not trying to minimize other people. I value other people's opinions who disagree with them. I'm not trying to disrespect anyone, but this is a slam dunk. Because the definition of God must mean that God created all mankind and the world, which means God had to create time. And if God, by that definition, created all mankind, the world, and time, it must mean God is able to see the future. And there is no other religion on the face of this earth who have prophecies that have come to pass in the stunning accuracy that Christianity has. Now, what you're thinking, I didn't see all that on YouTube. No, you're not going to unless you look for it. The news isn't going to broadcast it. But we've got a... Thank you. We've got a... Like, we don't have a... We got many... Thank you. Slam. Got a lot of them. Yeah, whatever. All right. 
Here's one. Let me just give you one. There are thousands of prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible. This one's a slam dunk. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Daniel gets a prophecy, and he's told by God, he's given an actual timeline by God of when the Messiah, Christ, the word in Hebrew is the, the Messiah, Christ, is going to come and be killed. And when you do out the math, when you do, I don't have time to go into it with you today, but if you do the math, you're going to get to April 6, 32 AD, which would be the exact day that Jesus was crucified on Passover. Okay, now, it's not a slam dunk unless you can prove that it wasn't written after the fact that Jesus died. But we've got a, we've got a, we've got a grand slam champion. Because in the book of Daniel, we find that we have a copy of Daniel that's carbon dated to 200 BC from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And guess what passage it has in it? Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Thank you. You're not excited, and I don't know why. You should be. And listen, if you aren't a Christian, we appeal to you. Please look at the evidence. Jesus is real. He died for your sins. He does love you, and he longs to forgive you, but you have to believe in him. Please. Why do we sometimes respond poorly when we feel out of control? We use our power to control only what God can. But when life is out of control, we're now going to see how Daniel responds as he believes in God. When life is out of control, should we respond if we believe? How should we respond if we believe God is in control? Well, the first way we respond is we respect others. We respect others because we trust God. And I'm going to step on some toes. I want you to know I'm stepping on mine. Um, there is a certain bent of conservative Christianity right now, and it's always existed. It's existed since Jesus. Um, that has all truth in it. They speak truth. But you can speak truth in such a way that it's full of pride and arrogance and minimizes people who disagree with you. And I'm telling you right now, that type of truth doesn't trust God because they're trying to minimize people by winning an argument and making them look stupid. If you disagree with someone who's not a Christian and you do it in such a way that makes them look foolish in your teaching, Jesus has some very harsh words for you. Because the majority of harsh words Jesus talks about in the New Testament is geared toward the Pharisees who look down at their nose at other people. You see, the Pharisees had a lot of truth, but the way they went about it, Jesus held the most intense criticism for them. I know right now that we lead Bible studies from people who look down their nose at people who are not Christian, and you need to be careful with that. You've got to be careful with that because pride has no place in Christianity. It is every bit of sin as unbelief. And Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel is in a position where he's about to be killed. And Daniel responds in such a way where he doesn't freak out. He doesn't call King Nebuchadnezzar a monster. Notice what happens with Daniel here in verses 14 through 19. He says, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. 
And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained to his, uh, the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning the, this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So really quickly, uh, this is going to be a long point, but I want you to notice this. There's a quote from Warren Wearsby, uh, who used to be the pastor of Moody Bible Church, and he says this, Faith is living without scheming, and faith brings glory to God. It's interesting, isn't it? Daniel's in a position where most, most of us would flip out. He's, he's in a position where he's going to get killed, and he's in an impossible position. How's he going to interpret a dream? He doesn't know the dream. He's got to rely on God. And, and yet, notice what he does and how he responds. He, he responds in prudence. Notice what he says. Um, uh, he asked, he, when Ariok King's guard had gone to put to death, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He, he respected the king's guard and he respected the king. In immense time of pressure, and how many of us in immense time of pressure tend to say things that we don't normally say? React in ways we don't normally react. He trusts in God totally. And faith in God in a time of impossibility always results in respect for others. By the way, we have many verses on this. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts... Revere, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give them a reason for the hope that's within you. And do this with gentleness and respect. I've heard people quote this in prideful and arrogant ways against people who were not Christian. And I'm telling you, this teaching is in the church. It's it's like in conservative Christianity. If you have a teacher who speaks in ways that looks down on people who don't agree with them, that is pride and it's going to tear apart. God's not happy with that type of stuff. So please know that. And if you surround yourself by teachers who talk bad about unbelievers, you become like them. Be careful with that. Colossians Chapter 4, verse 6, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, truth, and love, truth, and love, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need to use caution when listening to teachers who are, riding, uh, who are rude and prideful and arrogant, even if what they're teaching is true. Be, be careful with that. When we are out of control, how should we respond if we believe God's in control? Well, we respect other people because we trust God. And here's the last thing. When we're out of control and we go to God and God helps us out of the situation, we still need to respond to God in praise. Because if we don't, we get a disease called big headitis. <laughs> and Daniel does it. Can you imagine this? Daniel actually is shown by God after him and his friends pray 
the exact vision and dream that King Nebuchadnezzar gets. And he doesn't use that as his advantage to persecute other people. He doesn't use that as his advantage to get more than he should. He, he doesn't get big headitis. And notice how this happens. It's because he praises God and gives God the glory in verses 19b through 24. Notice what it says. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power his. By the way, this is the key verse of the whole book of Daniel. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, O God, my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel, notice this. Then Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret the dream for him. Don't kill the people who don't believe in my God. Have mercy. Very important. Daniel praises God. There are two things that Daniel sees about God that we would do well to see about God. And the reason why we can praise him instead of getting big headitis Here's the first thing. Daniel understands wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. It doesn't come from us. The world would have you think wisdom comes from your education. It does not. Wisdom comes from God. That which is in the darkness can't be known unless it's unveiled by God. And here's what Daniel knows. He doesn't deserve to have the gift of interpreting dreams. This is something that wasn't given to everyone. It's a very rare gift. But God has given it to him and he doesn't get a big head because of it. Instead, it makes him actually more humble because he realizes he doesn't deserve it. And uh, we have to be really careful with this. And by the way, I want to talk about dreams really quick before we're done. Because a lot of people are like, you know, God revealed dreams here. And I've had dreams and, and God led someone to interpret dreams here. I want you to know that I believe that God still can work through a dream today. I totally believe there's nothing in the Bible that seems to suggest that God can't use dreams today. And I refuse to put God in a box. I don't have one verse. And if you have a verse, share it with me after, after church because I don't want to be against God. But I'm telling you right now, I don't have one verse that remotely says that God can't cause a dream to happen. However, I want you to be careful. Have any of you gone to a railroad crossing and crossed over it? Okay, there's a sign before a railroad crossing. What's it say? Yeah, you don't know because you run right over the... It's, it's yield, yield. And here's what I'm trying to tell you is, we need to yield with this and be very careful because this text actually shows us that this gift was rare. It says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, that Daniel was given... By God, the gift to interpret dreams. And there's only other couple of people we know in the whole Bible where we see this. Joseph is another one of them. And so what I'm trying to say is that it's not that it doesn't happen. It's just really weird. Uh, not weird. It's really rare. It's very rare. And by the way, this doesn't mean that God doesn't give you dreams. He, he obviously has given dreams to people and reveals himself in that way. But 
again, when we cross the railroad, what sign do we say? Yield. Be careful. Be careful. Let me give you a principle why we should be careful. Because no dream you ever have will actually add to the Bible. You're not going to get a revelation from God that's going to change what the Bible says or add to it. Okay? That's for sure. That's in the Bible. Uh, uh, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. If, if I or an angel comes to you and shares with you a different gospel, they're to be anathema. They're to be cast out of the church. They're to be, it's not true. And so we don't add to the revelation of God. Here's the second thing. If you have a dream or anything like that, it will always be supported by the word of God. It will always be supported by the word. Now, here's why I say that. Because the vast majority of us, the normal experience is that we hear God and his revelation through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit interacting in our lives. I know that because John chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus says this. He's talking to his disciples. He says, when I go away, I will send a comforter to you. And he will remind you of everything that I, you see, when you want to, you want to experience the Holy Spirit. Okay. Who wants to experience the Holy Spirit? In your situations that you're in, have you ever heard a scripture come to your head to warn you or encourage you about where you are? That's the Holy Spirit. hundred percent. By the way, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, everybody say All. That means all of it, Old New Testament, is inspired by God. And all scripture is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be equipped for good works. It's the scriptures that reveal God to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he spoke to us through his what are the various ways, dreams, prophecies, miracles? Uh, I'm not saying those things don't exist today. I'm just saying that uh, if they do, they're going to point to Jesus. That's what I'm saying. And then second, Daniel understands that God controls all things and we're almost done. Now, this, this is like a gold nugget. Everybody say gold nugget. Gold nugget is not a slam dunk. Everybody say slam dunk. Not a slam dunk. We already did that. But this is a gold nugget. I want you to take out your purse, ladies, and put the gold nugget in your purse. I'm going to give you this for free. Gold nugget. You're not taking it to the bank. You don't believe me. All right. Here's the gold nugget. God controls all things. I want you to look at the scriptures here. This is cool. Verse 4, chapter 2. All the sorcerers come to Nebuchadnezzar, and they report to him, and they speak in Aramaic. From chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to chapter 7, verse 28, in the original text, in the original language, it is all in Aramaic, no longer in Hebrew. You see, God is saying something that was intentional. There's no other scripture in the whole Old Testament like that. What is he doing? It corresponds because from chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through chapter 7, verse 28, God is showing Daniel that he's in control, and he's showing Daniel that the kingdoms of the world are going to rule over the Israelites, but he is still in control. And he's telling us something today, too. And we have to be very careful to pay attention. Many of us get very violent and very upset and very condescending when our political party doesn't win. And I have to press you, my friends. Why would you do that if you believe that 
God is in control. It doesn't mean you don't vote. It doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you don't talk about Of course, of course. You're citizens of the country of America, the greatest country on earth. You better use your rights or lose them. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is don't let your joy be taken away just because things didn't work out our way because God is in control. And that's the message of Daniel. Why do we sometimes respond poorly? We respond poorly because we use our power to control only what God can. When we're out of control, how do we respond if we believe God's in control? We respond by respecting others. We respond by praising God for his design. Some years ago, a pastor was learning how to fly. His instructor told him to put a plane into a steep and extended dive. He was totally unprepared for what happened next. After a brief time, the engine stalled. And the plane began to plunge out of control. It was soon very evident the instructor was not going to help the pastor. After a few seconds of hesitation, the pastor began to think again. And he quickly corrected the situation. When they got back down to the ground, the pastor uh, began to vent his fearful frustration to the instructor. And he uh, threatened to not continue with flying sessions. (laughs) After about five minutes of listening to... This pastor gave a peace of mind to the instructor. The instructor calmly looked at him and said, There is no position you can get this airplane into that I cannot get it out of. If you want to learn how to fly, you got to go up there and do it again. And good friends, I don't know what position you're in this morning. But I do know this. There's no position that you're in right now that God cannot deliver you from. And he might not deliver it like you think. But he intends on strengthening your faith through the storm. May we respond to him in such a way that we believe that he is in control. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. For your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing, dividing, heart, marrow, spirit. Lord God, we pray, Lord God, help us to respond to people respectfully. To stand for truth and love. Lord God, help us to be a people where we praise you in the middle of the storm. We praise you after you've delivered us so that we might not think more of ourselves than we should. Lord God, we pray, help us not to respond poorly when we're not in control because we trust you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, don't forget, you guys, come this evening, 6 p.m., and the favorite pie of Lazy Mountain is chocolate pecan pie. Okay, so, so come and pre-cut your pie before you get here and find someone you don't know this morning and say hello. God bless you and have a great day.